0: Hello and welcome to How Westminster Works, a podcast from Politics Home that takes a deep dive into the history, quirks and peculiar practices of UK politics. I'm your host Alan Tolhurst and in this episode we'll explore one of Parliament's, if not one of the country's most incredible buildings, Westminster Hall. If I asked you to think of the buildings of Westminster, the first to come to mind would probably be the House of Commons, maybe the House of Lords or perhaps even Big Ben, which is actually known as the Elizabeth Tower. But standing tall on the parliamentary estate, nearly 1,000 years old, is a building with an embarrassment of stories to tell, and that is still used by MPs to this very day. We will speak to historians about the amazing story of Westminster Hall, and Labour MP Angela Eagle will explain what Westminster Hall debates are, and what they are used for in 2022. So where to begin? Well, Westminster Hall was completed in the year 1099. It was built by King William Rufus, the son of William the Conqueror, a few decades after his dad had led the Norman invasion of England. At nearly 100 feet tall and 240 feet in length, the palace was the largest hall in England at the time, and probably the biggest in Europe. It was designed to impress, and in the early days played host to lavish feasts. Since then it has hosted all sorts of functions. Samuel Pepys wrote in his famous 17th century diaries that he went to weekend markets in Westminster Hall to see and to be seen. Tennis balls dating back to the 16th century have been found jammed within the hall's magnificent wooden ceiling. There is little evidence to support the rumour, however, that it was Henry VIII's ropey tennis which resulted in the balls getting stuck up there. For historian Mark Collins, who sat down with politics homes Adam Payne in Westminster Hall, 1265 is the first key date in this building's remarkable tale. It was this year when barons, knights and officials from major towns came together in Westminster Hall for the first time. They discussed major reforms and how to help the leader of the time, Simon de Montfort, stay in power. These meetings soon became the norm and were eventually given a name, the House of Commons.
1: So you talked about um, 1265, and would it be fair to say, just to, to put it in, in layman's terms to people, that Parliament as a concept in this country, as we generally recognise it, originates back to 1265 and the coming together of people in, in here?
2: I think it does, because from Magna Carta in 1215 under John, uh, there there was a re-establishment of the relationship between the king and the barons through through Magna Carta, and then from that his son was also um, pressurized by the barons to to relinquish some of the um, power of the king uh, by by arranging these these parliaments through, through Henry III's reign and into Edward I as well, so through the 13th century.
0: That's when parliament really Begins. Westminster Hall has been central to the country's legal history, having been the location of some of the most high-profile state trials. William Wallace, the Scottish freedom fighter immortalised by Mel Gibson's Braveheart, was tried there as was the November the 5th gunpowder plotter Guy Fawkes. As Collins explains, if you were dragged into Westminster Hall accused of treason, the chances are you wouldn't make it out alive. And just a warning, some of the details are a bit graphic. So, um William Wallace in 1305,
2: the Scottish Patriot was trying to maintain independence for Scotland against Edward I. He was tried in the war. Um, and he was uh, uh, committed for treason and sentenced to death and hung, drawn, and quartered. So this was the this was the typical um, uh, punishment uh, at the end of the state trial. Uh, then with uh, Guy Forbes mentioned in 1605, who placed 36 barrels of gunpowder underneath the House of Lords to blow up the King and, and Parliament uh, in order to re establish, he hoped, the, the um, Catholic faith in this country. He and fellow conspirators were captured. He was discovered underneath the House of Lords the night before state opening, and uh, he, about midnight, and then he was brought to the hall with fellow conspirators to be tried in a treason trial by uh, the king. So James I stood hiding in the hall. He, he was just watching from a, from a secret place. And again, uh, they were condemned to death uh, by hang, hanging and drawing and quartering. But Guy Forbes actually jumped from the scaffold and committed suicide
0: before that could happen. It would be a bit terrible death otherwise you so he jumped and broke his neck from the scaffold. But perhaps the most famous trial to take place in Westminster Hall was that of Charles I, the 17th century king who was put to death after a parliamentary coup against him. It is remembered one of the most extraordinary moments in British history, with parliamentarians setting up their own court and putting a monarch to trial. Up to 2,000 spectators are thought to have packed into the hall to witness the trial. Some perched in the window reveals, while thousands more gathered in the courtyard outside. But The most important trial which has
2: ever taken place in the hall, without doubt, is that of King Charles I. So, after the civil wars, the king was captured, brought to the hall by the House of Commons, who set up a high court uh, to judge him. Charles didn't recognise the court. He didn't uh, acknowledge its um, uh, being there at all. He thought that the king shouldn't and couldn't be tried. But they overturned this and condemned him to death. And he was uh, executed nearby, um, outside
1: the palace of Whitehall. And just on Charles I, what we're talking about, I don't think it's hyperbolic to say that if, if you think it is hyperbolic then do, do uh, set, set me uh, straight, up, but it was the parliament at the time deciding essentially to set up its own judicial authority, to try a king of England, a divinely anointed king of England, an absolutely extraordinary moment in British yeah. political history. Um, so extraordinary that it can't really be overstated. What? Uh, what I was, and I, I read that when when the when the trial was held here, there was up to. Two thousand spectators. Is that correct in, in this room?
2: Yeah, well, they were absolutely filled the hall completely, and sometimes they were sitting in the window reveals as well. So at high level, it was it was um, it was an enormous moment, as you say, uh, unprecedented. And the idea, of course, was to create a republic so, so that England would, would, um, would, would be uh, run um, by by Parliament, so so a a completely new form of arrangement. Uh, Without a king, the House of Lords by that stage had been abolished as well, and so it was
0: just the House of Commons who actually arranged for the trial. Westminster Hall, at the very heart of British democracy, has also come under attack. Lord Lexton, conservative life peer and historian of British politics, describes how the building has twice been targeted by Irish republican terrorists. The first occasion in 1885,
3: known as Dynamite Saturday. Dynamite Saturday,
0: because it coincided
3: with another explosion of a severe kind the Tower of London. Again, Forgotten, I think, by nearly everybody. Um, w- so this is coordinated. Showed that uh, Irish terrorists back in the eighties, ignators, had achieved some fair degree of sophistication. Hmm. I don't like to put it that way, but that's that's the reality. They could they could time these things hmm. to uh, increase the impact. But here's the Times uh, reporting what um, uh, happened on the 20th, on Dynamite Saturday, about two p.m. simultaneous explosions. Occurred at the Houses of Parliament and the Tower of London, which I just mentioned. At the former, a suspicious package having been observed in the crypt, which is the crypt over there, the crypt Shamble, uh, by a lady, information was at once given to the police in attendance. Constable Cole rushed into the chapel, down below, and picked up the package, but almost as soon as he reached Westminster Hall, coming up the steps from the crypt, Roughly over there, um, uh, he was obliged to let it fall. A terrific explosion followed, blowing a hole in the pavement, six foot in breadth. Imagine six foot hole somewhere, somewhere over there, um, uh, making another in the roof. So the roof was mm. damaged and shattering the glass throughout the hall. A considerable <laughs> event, as you can as you mm. can see. The Home Secretary. <laughs> Um, at the time was um, uh, walking down St. James's Street near Pall Mall, not far away, Uh, and his son records in his diary that um, a a man came rushing up to them, the bottom of St. James's Street, uh, and said, Westminster Hall is blown up, at the same time showing us his hat, which was full of small pieces of glass. Um, And uh, for that... uh, in, in the course of the uh, course of, all, uh, of this, um, two policemen were quite seriously uh, injured, and four civilians uh, less so. Two of the culprits were eventually uh, caught and sentenced to uh, life imprisonment. So here we are um, uh, terrorists connected with uh, Irish Republicans, the forerunners of the IRA, uh, making
0: their presence felt in, really in a marked fashion on dynamite Saturday. Fast forward nearly 100 years to the 17th of June, 1974, when the Irish Republican Army, more commonly known as the IRA, bombed Westminster Hall. It will be the start of an intense campaign of attacks on the British mainland.
1: So can you, uh, in a similar fashion, explain what happened that day? 8.30 a.m., £20
3: bomb in a corner of Westminster Hall. Which corner, I do not know, the press Mm. reports. Don't specify which of the four corners. There was only four of them. But in but in a a corner, David Steele, the Liberal MP, Liberal Democrat, um, looking down um, from the top, uh, said, "I looked at uh, looked in Westminster Hall, and the whole hall was filled with smoke. A few minutes later, it was possible to see flames shooting up through the windows." you know, it's sounding as if uh, a great deal of harm was being done and, mm-hmm. but uh, uh, the reports um, uh, of the day seventeenth of June uh, indicate that um, uh, a canteen which must have been i think on the where we 're sitting on the left on, mm-hmm. on, the le- on the left side of the wall, uh, and um, a number of offices were destroyed um, but Westminster Hall itself was not seriously damaged despite Mm. um, the size of the bomb. Eleven people were injured, um, and it signalled the start of a new phase of uh, IRA bombing, which was very intense throughout the rest of 1974, 1975, um, and throughout the country, uh, taking all these uh, incidents into account. Between 35 and 40 people were were killed. Um, so uh, nobody killed here. 11 uh, injured. Um, damage done much less severe than David uh, in a report, looking at the whole place um, filled with smoke mm. and flames. Um, much less severe. Uh, the damage um, uh, to the uh,
0: rooms uh, beyond the hall, not in not in the hall itself. In more recent times, Westminster Hall has probably been best known as the location for lying in state. Lying in state is when the coffin of a deceased monarch or former Prime Minister is placed on view inside Westminster Hall so that members of the public can pay their respects. This last happened when the Queen Mother died in 2002. Around a quarter of a million people lined up along Westminster Bridge to visit the hall and view her coffin. And in true British fashion, it's first come, first served, for those who want to pay their respects around 320,000 people queued along Millbank and Lambeth Bridge to bid farewell to Winston Churchill, the wartime prime minister, in January 1965. Historian Mark Collins tells us more. The lying in states began
2: with William Gladstone, so um, the former prime minister, in 1898. Uh, and then he was followed later by Edward VII, so the first, the first sovereign was 1910, and what happens here is that uh, the hall is set up with a a catafalque, so it has a platform, uh, an arrangement uh, in the centre of the hall, upon which the the coffin is placed, Um, and they um, uh, are here for three days and three nights, um, before they are taken to uh, Windsor now. As it is for burial, uh, and, and who will be allowed into Westminster Hall? And so, it, it's only given to um, exceptional um, um, commoners, so Winston Churchill in 1965. Uh, but normally, it is it is either um, the king or the queen uh, or their um, the king's consort, the queen consort, but not the prince consort. It's only the, in the uh, King, Queen, or, or the
1: the King's council. and what when um, the coffin is in this room, are members of the public allowed in to, to come and pay respects That's and right. observe this? They do, uh, and, and they can file
2: past to pay their respects. So, so yeah. this goes on um, through the
0: day, through the night as well. In fact, with just just a, a short break. As Lord Lexton explains, William Gladstone, apparently uninterested in a flashy exit, arrived at Westminster Hall for his lying in state via the London Underground.
1: The transportation of William Gladstone's body via the Underground, that's a, an amazing. So how did that work then? I assume they had the whole train to themselves. Quite, you know,
3: it would be a special train. Uh, partly it was because uh, the, the, the underground rail company, uh, in private hands, in pre-nationalisation, yes. Yes. Um, Gladstone had a significant shares in um, uh, the uh, un- underground company that um, <laughs> laid on the train that bore the bore him. and the, uh, the uh, and then the uh, coffins came across the road from Westminster Underground Station. It is extraordinary, isn't it? You would have thought a more <laughs> grand arrival yes. would have been certain.
0: Since the mid-20th century, Westminster Hall has also hosted a handful of foreign speakers. The first figure to have the privilege of addressing parliamentarians in Westminster Hall was French President Charles de Gaulle in 1960. Nelson Mandela was the next to do so in 1996, with Pope Benedict XVI and Barack Obama speaking in 2010-2011.
3: I am told that the last three speakers here have been the Pope, Her Majesty the Queen, and Nelson Mandela. Which is either a very high bar or the beginning of a very funny joke.
0: <laughs> Unlike British monarchs who address Westminster Hall from the top of the hall steps, foreign guests speak from halfway up, symbolising their status in relation to the King or Queen. So, what is Westminster Hall used for now? Visit today and you'll spot tour guides showing groups of visitors around. Adjacent to the hall is a much-loved parliamentary gift shop, where you'll find Westminster-themed gifts like stationery mugs and alcohol, among other things. But adjoined to Westminster Hall is the Grand Committee Room, where MPs get together for what we call Westminster Hall debates. The Labour MP, Angela Eagle, a veteran of parliamentary process, tells us more.
4: In Westminster Hall, there are no votes. That's one of the biggest differences between the Commons and Westminster Hall. So there can't be any decision-making. So explicitly Westminster Hall is used and the Westminster Hall debates were created to enable backbench MPs to raise issues uh, which they wanted ministerial sight of and hopefully on the record answers about, uh, but, but which they couldn't force a vote about. So it creates a chamber, which is a debating chamber, different to the floor of the House of Commons. Uh, And when it was first created, it came out of having tried to have more adjournment debates on the floor of the House of Commons in the mornings and finding that it didn't really work. So it was decided to try a completely different chamber. Uh, And that's where the Westminster Hall Debate Chamber was created and and came in, um, in what used to be called the Grand Committee Room. And so you've got a horseshoe shape, which is very different to most, um, well, to all debates in the House of Commons. And it's really about trying to get ministers on the record, giving some answers about very specific issues.
0: MPs apply to the House of Commons Speaker for Westminster Hall Debates, which cover a wide variety of subjects. Some focus on regional issues affecting a small group of MPs, like flooding in their part of the country, while others tackle issues that a number of MPs are particularly passionate about, a recent example being the Post Office Horizon scandal. Westminster Hall also hosts debates about select committee reports, and debates triggered by 100,000 people or more signing a petition online. Eagle says Westminster Hall debates have enhanced democracy since they were introduced over 20 years ago, but complains that not all ministers take them completely seriously. Yes,
4: I would, because it gives backbenchers more time to wear particular issues. Um, I think over the years since it was created, um, the use of it has expanded in good ways. Um, but I have to say that having sat in quite a lot of these debates, I think the ministerial answers are getting worse and worse.
1: Mm, so do you this element of government not taking them as seriously as you should?
4: Uh, absolutely. And you know, what I call very, very, formulaic speeches written by the civil service which don't actually reply to any of the points that have been made in the debate that are just perfunctorily read out that's um, a, a, an increasing feature of the ministerial responses obviously it depends on the ministers some ministers are much more engaged um with trying to answer questions than others if i could put it that way Um, When I was a minister, I, I always used to try to contact the people that were having debates to ask if they wanted to tell me anything in advance so that I could try to address their concerns. I'm not sure that always happens now.
0: Nowadays, the walls of Westminster Hall listen to the hum of tourists and the sound of parliamentary debates. But if those walls could talk, you would listen for hours. Thank you so much to all our guests on the episode, and thanks to you all for listening. This episode was written by my colleague Adam Payne. The editor was Laura Silver. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review. If you want to get in touch, then reach out to us on Twitter at politicshome or email us via news at com. But for now, have a great weekend and be sure to listen again next week for another episode of How Westminster Works.